Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. is the Toffee Web Podcast. Hello, Blues. Welcome to the latest edition of the Toffee Web Podcast. Back after a week's unplanned hiatus to look back at Saturday's defeat to Manchester United, assess the current state of play regarding the relegation picture, and look ahead to the clash with Fulham this weekend, which is another of those games that has taken on massive significance. Uh, I'm joined by Andy Howard, Al Bretland, and Adam McCulloch. Um, Al, you and I had a great one-on-one chat last week that would have gone out last Friday, but uh, we had some technological issues which meant that we lost almost all of it. Uh, but I'll come to you first on this one. I'm not sure many of us um, were expecting much out of that game at Old Trafford in terms of result, but... Uh, we did talk on that lost podcast about how we felt Everton could get something out of the game based on recent form. Uh, it wasn't to be, obviously, but what were your overall impressions of the performance at Old Trafford? Yeah, so I think, you know, it was one of our probably worst performances under Sean Dyche, but I think what you've got to say alongside that is that they're one of the best sides that we faced under Sean Dyche as well. So really it was it yeah. was what we expected. Um I know that you know our goal was peppered in the first half and Jordan Pickford was superb. Um, but because of what I've seen under Sean Dyche at, at half-time, I still thought we could have a moment. We we can still get a, a draw from it. You know, I wasn't confident that we would win the game. But I thought, you know, even though we've been under the cosh and we haven't looked great, we, we've still got something about us that, that can see us get a result here. And it just sort of got away from us, didn't it? I, th- I thought that... You know, it, it was just that I just think it's another example of just Everton. We are where we are at the minute, and you know we we've done well to get points against Chelsea and Tottenham, and we've beat Arsenal at home. But you know, 
sometimes when the quality is that vast, you know, you are going to lose. And I know that, you know, over the, the last few seasons, Man United um, haven't been too good and we've got some good results against them. But I think under Eric Ten Hag, I think they've probably got the consistency that we maybe expect from Sean Dyche next season. You know, if all goes well, if, if we stay up, I feel like um, Eric Ten Hag has them as a well-oiled machine and that even when they're not at their best as well, they'll they'll get the results. And I, and I just feel that we were the sort of the unlucky side to turn up there on on Saturday. And yeah, I'm not I'm not too downhearted. I think as we said on the podcast, that didn't go out, Lyndon. That you know, even if we were to get beat, which was expected, and even if the results you know in the other games weren't great, and you know we were maybe 17th, 18th going into the Fulham game, I'm still confident sat here now that Everton have got enough. I think it was you know I never like to say you know a game is a free hit, but you know, as an Evertonian for 25 years, you know, I don't lose too much sleep over losing at Man United. It's just, it it is what it is, unfortunately. And I, I just think that, you know, although it was a, a disjointed performance and, you know, I know that Man United were able to get in behind us quite a lot. Um, I, I still took quite a bit of comfort in the fact that, you know, we, we were in the game in spells. You know, it, it wasn't like in the past where, you know, some of the, some of the accusations thrown at the players have been that they've down tools or, you know, they've just not been in the mm-hmm. game. I feel like we were always in it. But when that when the second goal went in, it was just like probably a bridge too far. But as I say, it hasn't really changed my thinking on Everton. Um still petrified, but still relatively confident that, you know, we <laughs> yeah. we do have enough about us and that you can't judge it on on Old Trafford really. I think uh, the conversation you two had last week was one of those great mysteries, weren't it? Like the lost tapes of a, of a famous band. <laughs> yeah, exactly. What was, what was said in those four balls? Uh, wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> I echo what El just said, really. It, it kind of hasn't changed an awful lot um, in terms of the overall picture about how I feel. Um, it, it was the one so far that I genuinely thought this is... I mean, anything out of this is a huge, huge bonus. I mean, you could see, I could see us beating Spurs. I could see us getting something at Chelsea the way they were playing. Arsenal on the first day of Sean Dyche was a complete unknown. Um, But this is the one I thought, well, you know, they're a good side. Uh, We're not yet. And I think anything would have been a bonus. Um, But I think what what you can take out of it, I'm going to try and stay positive because I, I know... I know it was very disappointing in terms of the way the game panned out and it didn't pan out. It didn't even look how I don't think many of us would have thought it might look. But the overall picture is that we're not only concentrating on what we're doing, we're concentrating on a whole jigsaw at the moment. And the jigsaw has come together at the end of a weekend where Everton are still not in the bottom three. Um, And I think that has to go down as bottom line positive that we are not in there. Um, if we can be as out of, well, we were in the game, like El said, if we can be as kind of routinely beaten as we were um, and other teams still pick up stuff around us, but we're not in the bottom three, I think we've got to look at the bigger picture. I hate saying that because, you know, we want to be going to places like that and being competitive and picking up points and three points and whatever else, which we've done in, you know, we've, we've done a little bit in the past. Um, with that, you know, amazing draw we had there and the Oviedo goal. And we have been competitive at Old Trafford, even in the FA Cup tie earlier this season. We were very competitive there. But at the moment, I think you've, 
you've you've got to look at the other games as a big as uh, as bigger part of the jigsaw as our own game, uh, and and here we are still just not in that bottom three. And I think as the longer that goes on, obviously the better. But the longer that goes on, it means that other teams are not doing as well as we are, um, and it sets up. I know we'll talk about it Saturday, but it, it it sets up Saturday as a game where we can not only we haven't we don't feel like we've got a hurdle to jump because we're we're out of the bottom three mentality wise we are still pushing upwards rather than having to jump over something if you see what I mean um and I think that it sets up Saturday brilliantly and if you know um I yes it was disappointing yes I would have loved to have seen us a little bit more in the game um but it kind of is where we are it is where we are, yeah. I think it, it was that sort of performance. It was a it was a lost podcast episode of a performance, really, wasn't it? I think we want to try and <laughs> pretend it didn't happen. Um, we were short on numbers, uh, didn't didn't get the result we wanted, but it was it wasn't a total disaster, as a lot of people have alluded to. It, it could have been a lot worse in terms of things like goal difference. It certainly wasn't um, akin to the Arsenal performance where when falling behind it quickly got away from us and I think obviously a, a huge part of that was down to Jordan Pickford who made some fantastic saves um I was a little perturbed to see the Everton social media channel saying Jordan Pickford made nine saves on Saturday as if it was something to really shout from a rooftops as opposed to a sign that things had gone quite awry uh defensively uh but that shouldn't take away from what was a really really strong performance from Jordan Pickford um yeah, it was. It, it was a game that, as 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 you both said, I never really expected us to get something from. But as I think you said, El, the the more we stayed in the game, you did start to feel, oh, maybe they have really wasted the chance to run away with this, and maybe just maybe one of those Tarkovsky headers from a set piece, uh, the well worked routine, maybe just one of those can fall the right way. But obviously, the timing of the second goal really took the wind out of our collective sales certainly um as a team um and for people watching um it was it was it was it was really disappointing that was a, a poor second goal to concede but they are a side who've got a lot of the things that we'd really really like players who can cut in and score goals from out wide players with pace players who can get in behind and exactly the sort of players as we saw against arsenal who we don't really want to be facing um with that back four they've stood up in certain games and um and we've obviously we've had a nice little unbeaten run which has been has been great um it's a shame that that's come to an end but it's it's not going to be the game that defines our season um you could argue maybe if it really had gotten away from us if if John Pickford doesn't save those nine chances then yeah it, it really could have but it won't be it won't be the big game that takes our season into a tailspin. I think we showed enough, um, and particularly with with the likes of Decore missing as well, I think we, we showed enough as a side that we've got players who can come in from reserve. I thought James Gar and Tom Davis did all right when they came on as well. Um, Mikolenko obviously coming in at left-back was a, a, a need and a must, really, um, based on the first half showing. Um, but the the big one, the big one is Saturday. That is a game that can take us out of it. And we, we saw at the weekend, it only takes a couple of those wins. Um, 
Palace have gone from being a side that we we were looking at thinking, ooh, they could really get sucked into this a couple of wins later and the narrative completely spins. And um, and yeah, you're right, Andy, just the, the mental side of being out of that bottom three, I think is really important going into that game. So um, hopefully we can dust ourselves down and, and and move on from this as quickly as possible, really, because as I say, disappointing, but not unexpected. Yeah. I think that's the headline from it, isn't it? Isn't it really? Yeah, it was. Um, it was. I mean, the first half was alarming to a degree, uh, a bit like the, um, you know, Frank Lampard's uh, meltdown at Spurs, and you kind of hope that that this is the one time this will happen, and and, and Deitch will kind of lock it down. Uh, I think again because we weren't expecting much, it was more results elsewhere that kind of have really sharpened the focus on this coming weekend. Um, as much as our results, you know, I mean, all three of, you know, Wolves winning, Bournemouth winning, and um, who's the other one? Palace won, obviously. Um, uh, you yeah, know, those, Palace, yeah, yeah um, those, you know, there were three teams down there with us that that, that picked up when that that really, um, when you when you look at the table and you look at the fact that you know we only have four home games left, it really kind of, you know, it, it makes it that much more important that we start picking things up away from home. Um, but talking about the, um, that, that formation and particular, in particular, um, Decore, who I think his absence was obviously a big concern coming into this one, not just for the game at United, but these next two that are coming up as well. Um, Sean Deitch obviously went with Alice Sims as I suspected he might. Um, another really tough assignment for him. Who's three Premier League starts to date have come at Stamford Bridge, Anfield, and Old Trafford. <laughs> Poor lad. Um, and it was always going to be a tough ask. I think against Fulham, there's a case for us being um, just as attacking and going for some sort of variation of four four two. Obviously, Dominic Calvert Lewin appears to be inching closer to fitness, but let's assume he doesn't start. Do we go with the same again or try different personnel in a similar formation based on what we saw against United? The silence speaks. And the silence does speak. (laughs) I was really surprised he went with Sims. Um, I thought he'd put a midfielder. I thought he'd actually play Tom Davis and keep Gray where he was. Um, I was was surprised he did that. Uh, I don't know whether... That's a sign of maybe trying to encourage Sims the most he can and maybe put him, you were talking about the games he's played, maybe put him there from the start when Sean Dyche feels maybe that there is the least chance of a result. Maybe. I'm just reading between the lines. Um, But I'm surprised he gave him a start. Um, I, I think it would be nice to see him start in a game that wasn't away from home against a, a very good team. Um, but I think he, I think Deitch may go back to an extra midfielder and put Gray back up. Um, just uh, just because I, I think we can probably expect to have a little bit more of the ball against Fulham. I wouldn't be surprised if he therefore turned to Garner. Um, but I don't know. It's... It, I don't know. It, it, it's, it's close, isn't it? Whichever way you bake it, it's close. Yeah, because Garner's not a Decore type, you know, in terms of either physique or, or really the way that he plays. He's more of a, um, you know, a sort of a playmaker from further deep. And we talked about sort of pushing Onana up there. Um, I don't think Onana's actually fully fit right now. 
Um, so I, I, whether he's going to have the uh, ability to do the pressing game that that the Corey was doing, it's there's aren't an easy answer. I wasn't surprised because I think I put in my match preview that I, I thought that Simmons would start, and I think you know I, I was sort of seeing it from maybe Deitch's rationale is that physically they're kind of similar, um, but obviously you've obviously got. Sims leading the line as opposed to Corey sitting behind um, Gray as a striker, and it was a different dynamic. So it didn't, it didn't really work, did it? But uh, there's no, there isn't an easy answer to this one. No, I, th- I think I personally, I think when we spoke last week, Lyndon, I said that I wanted to see James Garner more involved because, and I think especially against yeah. Fulham at home, I think you need that creativity. And something I noticed mm-hmm. from his cameo against Tottenham is he's he's almost he's always scanning the pitch and he's always. You know, he, he he's one step ahead of everybody. Um, you know, I sort of joked on on Twitter after the Tottenham game that in the time Decore takes to look down at his feet and get the ball, Garner's already made his pass. You know, he, he is <laughs> really true. that really that swift, and I think I think that's what we need, especially after losing somebody like Hamas Rodriguez. We haven't had anybody, I don't think, that plays those forward passes, um, and I'd almost go as far back as. Since Mikel Arteta, we've had Andre Gomez in, in spells play that sort of way where he's he gets his head up and he plays positively forward or he, he switches it from left to right and he's he's mobile in the middle and he's he's got that awareness and you know that that guile to his play. Um so just from the few appearances I've seen him in an Everton shirt and when he was at Forest last season, I think he can be, you know, a game changer for us just in terms of attacking teams and I think Especially with you know, if it was Ellis Sims playing balls into his feet, or Damari Gray for him to you know either get it into feet or to run on down the channels, I think Garner is is just that much quicker than our other midfielders in terms of getting the ball forward. Because I agree with you, Lyndon. I don't think an honest fit, but I really want to see an honest start dominating games as a box to box midfielder. Because I think that that could be the instruction from Lampard and Deitch this season, and that's. Maybe he does have to have a more rigid game. But I just think from the attributes that he's got, he can be doing more. And I don't mean that by like more effort, but I just mean in terms of his impact on the game. I think we can use him in a different way. And I think that may be where Gay, James Garner and Anana might complement each other because I think Gay can be the tackler and just stick to that. Garner can be the, the player who knits it all together and gets his head up. And then Anani, you know, can be the the busy guy who will who will get forward. Um, so I would like to to see James Garner, I think, start um, if he if he's you know if he's ready um, because I I sort of I'd like to see a Wobi in the middle as well, but just because I, I know that's because he is so anonymous when he's out wide. But although I say that, that's from going forward in terms of the um, solidity of the team. I think a Wobi in and Coleman or, or Patterson or whoever it may be, I think that is better for, for the personnel that we've got right now. So for me, you know, I wouldn't be changing it up too much. I'd, I think, you know, you need McNeil. Yeah, I think I would probably go Damari Gray up front and then bring Sims on later on into the game where he can maybe just sniff out a, a chance in the box. Um, but yeah, for me, I think James Garner's game. I know it's a cliche, but as we said, Lyndon, it will be like a new signing because he has been out for so long. Yeah. And, you know, it, I think it, it could prove pivotal. You know, it was it was around this time of the season when Kevin Campbell came in on loan and sometimes you just need that spark, you know, whether it's in midfield, whether it's, you know, I remember when Richard Goff came in as well, you know, just those 
when when the transfer window wasn't so rigid. A new player who you know has got a bit about them can elevate the team and and can probably make everybody else around them better as well. Um, so that's fingers crossed that James Garner, you know, no pressure, James, but that's the sort of impact. <laughs> you know, you'd like to think yeah. that, you know, Fulham at home, it is a game where he can probably thrive and shine um, and, and have that responsibility as well. Um, so that, that's the way I'd be going for sure, definitely. I think Kevin Campbell now as an impact sub would probably get there ahead of Neil Mopay to make it this moment in time. Um, probably savage. Richard Goffwood as well, to be honest. Um, especially especially with Deitch Ball, he'd, he'd, really, uh, he'd really thrive. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with you on James Garner. I'd, I'd like to see more of him. I think we've, we've seen brief flashes. Um, purely from a rhyming point of view, it makes a lot of sense in midfield, doesn't it? That midfield free of uh, Garner and Nana Garner, um, or whichever way you want to do that around. But he he does look like a really confident player on the ball. Um, he also adds set pieces and delivery, uh, right-footed, yeah, which I got... think is a really, really strong thing to have in the side. But Damari Gray's shown moments from uh, from dead ball situations, but I think Gar- Garner looks more consistent. I, th- I thought the ball he put in, I think it was against Spurs late on. It kind of got ahead of everyone, but it was it was it was a, it was a good delivery, and um, and I think it just gives us more options. Um, in terms of Sims, I feel like he he, he did his best, and I, I I don't think anyone came away from that game thinking this is a player who's out of his depth. I think he he certainly looks better for the minutes he's had, um, and his chance, although he he dragged it wide, wasn't as clear cut and easy as I, I think we we felt it was. Um, it was it was it was a difficult position. I think he was caught in two minds and sort of screwed it wide. Um, it wasn't a glaring opportunity. Uh, by any means, and 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 I do, I do like what he offers. He he looks busy. He gets involved. He offers knockdowns, um, and he's he's aggressive. So I I would like to see more of him. But I also agree that maybe for the the balance of the team, um, reverting to Demari Gray as a false nine um, with that midfield three would would serve the side better, uh, particularly um, if it means that reorganisation with Decore being out. And it, it's worth saying on the subject of Anana who. I agree. wasn't wasn't great the weekend. Um, you could argue he was culpable for the first goal, and some of his passes were a little wayward. But he's still such a young player. When 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 you look mm, at the yeah. amount of the, the amount of football he's played, he's played about a third of his career football for Everton. That's how little game time he had um, before joining a season in France, a season in Germany, and obviously some now some international experience. But we're we're still talking about a player who's developing a lot, um, and I think having experienced players like Decorey and um and Adrisagana Gay around him seems to have helped. Um and ironically the situation we're in is because of an act of petulance by one of those experienced players. Um <laughs> yeah. so I, I don't I don't think we can be too critical, but I I think we're also right to expect a lot from him because I think when when he has been on top of his game, he is exactly the sort of player who we've identified as a as a talisman in the middle of that, um, in the middle of a park, and someone who has got real, real ability. Um, so I think we're right to expect a lot, but I also think it's it's worth tempering those expectations a little bit with his age. Um, but in, in terms of the rest of the picture, I guess it'll be interesting to see whether um, Ben Godfrey recovers um, from the game at Old Trafford and whether Mikalenko comes back in. Um, it, I kind of forgot as well, but Ben Godfrey put in probably one of the tackles of the season, didn't he? Um, albeit it came 
on on the sort of recovery side of things. Um, but that'll be interesting. And and also we saw Patterson come off the bench as well. So there's, there's another question mark there at, um, at fullback as well. Um, so it, it, it will be an interesting one at Fulham. But I think whoever plays, we have to approach it positively because, yeah, as we've said, it's a, it's a biggie, isn't it? It is a biggie. Yeah, I think I've never really liked the idea of having centre-halves playing at fullback if they don't offer something going forward. You know, Julian Lescott was a prime example of a, of a player who offered plenty going forward, plenty of threat in the box, could score goals from set pieces. You know, in Ben Godfrey, I think he's probably unlucky not to have scored against Spurs um, the other week. But, I mean, in the main, he's still looking for his first goal. Um, so I'd like to see... Mikalakon come back in. He's not the greatest going forward either, but I feel like I feel like he's more of a kind of solid six and a half, seven week to week. Whereas you know, I think as we saw with Godfrey, that sometimes that that player out of position can really get caught out, um, you know, badly. And I think he obviously had the same experience on the other side against Arsenal. Um, so I'd like to see Mikalenko come back in. Um, the I guess the the concern on the other side is Seamus Coleman because I think he's. He picked up a knock. He obviously um, was questionable for Ireland and played for Ireland over the international break. But I think he's he's obviously got struggling with something there. Um, and whether Patterson's ready to slot straight back in, uh, I mean, he he had a bit of a, a an error that almost led to a goal at, at Old Trafford when he sort of gave the ball away. So I think he's got to, um, you know, he's got to settle back in. But probably, you know, if you're looking at our position like Fulham, they're by no means an easy game. It's obviously easier than facing United. So if he has to come in, then I think, you know, that would be fine. I'm just going back to Onana. I think with, um, I don't think he's playing badly at all. Um, I just think when you've got some, you know, obviously Idrissa Gay from an attacking standpoint is very limited. And I think that's where you just need the other person in central midfield to really kind of be more box to box and more, um, just a bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? A bit more, um, purposeful going forward as we've seen he can do you know and as I say I don't think he's fully fit right now and that may be the issue but uh yeah I think uh that that defense maybe there'll be changes there uh it's going to be interesting to see because there will be an, an element of of Deitch having to realize that maybe you know some of the things that he's been doing up till now in terms of Godfrey at left back for instance may have to change it's another jigsaw isn't it I mean we're talking about the yeah. jigsaw in the league table, but if, if you do put Garner in midfield, how does that change how who's playing beyond him plays? You know, there has to be a pattern there for him to to, to see his. I mean, the, the the original midfield three, the the kind of the, the plan and the jigsaw there was was very clear, wasn't it? You know, it was going to be a difficult to play through midfield. It was going to be athletic and whatever else. When you add a ball player it changes everything. You know, it doesn't only change the midfield, it changes what you expect of the players going the other way. Um, and if that happens, I mean, it happens to be Calvert-Lewin, then that's a lot of change all of a sudden. Um, if it's Gray, then they may have had time to work on that. Um, but yeah, it does It does change an awful lot, putting one, one piece of the jigsaw different than the last one. Um I don't know. I, I I kind of I almost hope he does go for Garner, and we just try and do something a little bit different in midfield. Um, yeah, but we shall see. I'd like to see Garner start. I think it's. I think we just need to. We need to see more of him, don't we? And I think he is athletic as well. He is 
he's he, he's not exactly a slouch. He's he, he's not somebody who just sort of sits on the ball and and passes it. He he does get around. He can, he can put a tackle in. Um, so he's probably a, a, a more suited version to an Everton side than say Andre Gomez was, particularly post injury. Um, but but yeah, you're absolutely right, Andy. It does it does change how we play and and particularly for that forward player, what kind of runs they make, um, which again might might suit Damari Gray a bit more. But yeah, we'll have to see. Okay, so on top of uh, Fulham, as as we discussed, Wolves, West Ham, and Bournemouth all winning last weekend. This is obviously uh, a much more a much bigger game than it than I think it would have been maybe a week or two ago. Um, Fulham winless since the 18th of February in the Premier League. Uh, they slipped to 10th. I think they're going off the ball a little bit even before Mitrovic was suspended uh, with gravity catching up with them a bit as it tends to do for promoted sides. But they obviously remain a decent side. We've obviously seen off Arsenal and Brentford at home, both top half sides, and we've run Spurs close. So, I mean, we should have enough to get this one over the line with the fans behind the team and presumably those uh, those lessons learned from the United game, right, Al? Yeah, I think so. And to be honest as well, it's quite scary to think, but I think this is probably, of the eight remaining fixtures, this is the most winnable, purely because, mm-hmm. you know, you would fancy us more to beat Bournemouth, but that's last day of the season. So that I feel like form goes out the window, especially if something is riding on it for both sides or, you know, fingers crossed we're safe and Bournemouth are maybe. So I think this is this is the one really where it, it needs to be three points. Um for me, because I think from the from the other fixtures I've looked at, I see them more as draws, but hopeful draws. Um, so this is like your bog standard, you know. And in the past, I know we've discussed, you know, before we before we started recording that, you know, Fulham used to always be the home banker for both sides. Whether it was at you know if it was a Craven Cottage, Fulham will get the win. If it was Goodison, Everton will get the win. And unfortunately, that record is no longer there. But it, it needs to be just one of those games where. We get the job done, really, and I, and I think, you know, I'm I'm quite grateful that it is Fulham, and I'm I'm grateful that you know Mitrovic is missing, um, and they do have other dangerous players, but I I look at it and on paper I feel like we've got enough, um, so I am I am confident that we that we can get something, um, and as I say, I think you know we're, we're probably fortunate that we're playing them at at this stage rather than a few months ago because it, it does seem like their season is sort of petering out a bit. And I think, you know, a ground like Goodison, Tottenham on uh, on Monday, I just sensed that they didn't fancy it. And I feel like if, if we can get an early goal against Fulham, I, w- I would I would feel the same that, you know, it's it's more important to us. So I feel like we would we would get it over the line. Um, but I think something that's been key in all the Sean Dodge games, I think it's it's almost first goal the winner. I think I think it's so important that you know, if we do go a goal down against Fulham, I wouldn't expect us to to lose by any means, but it does make it that more, much more difficult just because of the the scenario we're in. You know, Goodison gets a bit more touchy; that the pressure is almost, you know, doubled in an instance as soon as that ball hits the net. So, I think you know, if we can put in just you know, as, you know, like people say, a professional performance, if we can just <laughs> show up. You know, and the right Everton turns up. You know, I'm confident that we'll get the three points. But it is, it's, it's just really difficult. And I think as well, I, I would include Fulham in this. But you know, the bottom nine at the minute when they face each other, it's like a flip of a coin. It really is. Mm-hmm. And I, and even though Fulham are not in the bottom nine, I feel like you know they could be 
two nil and we can beat them two nil. It's it's very difficult to call. Um, but as I say, based on the the remaining fixtures, and that's not to say that our fixtures are really hard. But I, ju- I just feel like this is the one at this stage of the season where it, it needs to be a win, really. And it's also the one where if you look at everybody else's fixtures, there are it, not as many teams are playing each other this weekend. Yes. You know, um, Palace Southampton is about as close as you'll get. And we, we just hope that Palace win every game now, don't we? I mean, the, the, the chance of them kind of losing every game and being our kind of, uh, you know, Full guy is not going to happen, I don't think. So, um, but no, Bournemouth at Tottenham, Leicester at Man City, uh, Forest play Man United, West Ham play Arsenal. So you look at all that. I mean, <laughs> yeah, again, no pressure. But this is <laughs> this is the one we kind of from both sides of the equation. You feel as if this is there for us to go and win, um, because. You know, it, it crops up again. Like when when we play Palace, Leicester have got Wolves. Um, although having said that, Forest have got a terrible run at the moment, haven't they? Um, in the next few games, but then Bournemouth play West Ham next week. So there, there will there will be those clashes again. But this one just feels like if Everton get three points, there you're, you're not guaranteed anything. But you're, there's much more likely that others won't. Um, and it, it could be pretty pivotal from that point of view. Um, which makes it horrific. (laughs) (laughs) It's exhausting, isn't it, Les? Isn't it exhausting? (laughs) Having to not just concentrate on one game a weekend, but nine, oh, it's just, yeah. Can't wait Uh, till it... All of a sudden, you you are a Palace fan. When when, a week ago, I was not a Palace fan. I was thinking, God, they they could drop. (laughs) They could just fall through the floor. That would be brilliant. That's one done. But, I mean... You know, they, they now I'm thinking well, Palace should win every game, and then that mm. would be three points. It's just, oh, you need a kind of look almost like a full time position. It is, <laughs> yeah, with 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 lacking benefits as well. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's uh, it is really tiring. I, th- I think it's the the Fulham game is our best opportunity because it, it's probably our best chance to pick up some kind of momentum going into this stretch. Um, this this run of games coming up, I mean, every every game from now is hard. Even even the ones on paper. Um, I think you said all about Bournemouth at home. You don't want to be reliant on that. That's probably the only other quote unquote banker, um, which it really wouldn't be. But this is the chance to start something because the game uh, following uh, against Palace, uh, a Leicester side who, um, sorry, N- Newcastle at home, which is a tough game, but is at home. And then, um, and then Leicester away is, is a run of fixtures that isn't as daunting as a run we've just come out of. And we, um, we, we, we lost one of those games. So I'm not saying we should go and draw the next few because that would, that would still lead to even more, um, exhausting, uh, checking of the, uh, fixtures, but, a win, a win on Saturday would really set the tone, um, and it's it's worth noting as well. West Ham did it this weekend. A lot of other sides around us play Fulham, so even though it's not a six pointer, there is an onus on it. If say we get a positive result against Fulham and the likes of uh, who plays them next, uh, not Villa, not Man City, I'm sure they yeah they play Leicester. Um, towards the end of the season we play Southampton 
and they also play Palace, although that they've one's looking. And they've got Leeds. Yeah, there we go. So got Leeds next. That's it. So there is there is something riding on it, just not in the kind of direct way that we'd be used to. But yeah, certainly a positive result would really, really take us into um take us into that next run of fixtures. And then hopefully, hopefully by the time we come to that Man City game, we are some way away from the rest of this this pack because as I said earlier, we've we've already seen with 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 Palace and with other sides around us that a couple of wins can quickly can quickly get you out of it. Um, so three positive results, and we can all maybe breathe a sigh of relief. Um, who knows? <laughs> maybe. No, this is this is the this is the chance this weekend to actually open up a bit of a gap between ourselves and some of the teams below us. Um, I think you know if you look, I think Southampton. They look doomed now. I mean, it's a really, really big ask for them. And they're still not winning matches. Um, and so with Palace sort of putting their run together, they look like they've got enough now under Roy Hodgson, which surprised me, actually. I think everyone was obviously surprised by that Leeds result. But, you know, two wins out of two for him um, when they'd gone three matches without even registering a shot on target. It's amazing just how a, a change in manager can just instantly provide a, a boost. And we obviously don't know what the Dean Smith effect is going to be at Leicester. If there's going to be one, um, you know, maybe they've, maybe they've just, Morales just too beaten down. We'll have to wait and see. Wolves, I think will be feeling a bit more comfortable on 31 points. West Ham obviously have a game in hand. They're on 30. So it just really feels like there's five teams down there with us, with us obviously being one of them for those final two places. So this, this weekend could be huge in terms of just opening up a little bit of a cushion. I'm just pleased to see Forrest there because Forrest were the ones that I always hoped would at some point it would catch up with them. And it has, luckily. Um, I, I, I'm really pleased to have them below us. It's the Leicester one that surprised, I think, everybody how bad they are. I mean, they've always been there or thereabouts this season. But mm-hmm. in the last kind of, well, the last three weeks fortnight, they, they've really surprised me how bad they are. And if, I mean, who did I say they got next? Um, they've not got an easy game, have they? City, I think. Is it City? Is it City, City away it? at City. Yeah, away at City. Okay. So, so that's a, however bad they're going to be under Dean Smith or not. That's another opportunity for us to get a further three points ahead of them. You'd think so. Mm-hmm. We could end, easily end up five points ahead of Leicester with seven games to go, which is pretty healthy at our end of the table. Yeah. Um, the more I talk about this Saturday, the more I really am not looking forward to it. Um, God knows why I've got a ticket. <laughs> well, yeah, it's because there's so much riding on it. I mean, I, I hadn't actually realised until today that with those four games that we have left at home, and obviously our home form is key. I mean, one's against City, one's against Newcastle, who are absolutely flying right now, and then the other one's Bournemouth, who we've just been terrible against them, you know, for the last few few times we've played them. And I, I really don't want to be going into a, a do or die game against Bournemouth because it just feels like a complete flip of the coin. But um, anyway, in terms of going back to the, the, the possible lineup, I guess the one question about this weekend is say Dominic Calvert-Lewin comes through first team training this week, which I think he had his first session last Friday with the, with the rest of the team. If he comes through, Obviously, we're getting down to the to the to the crunch time. Do we risk him? Do we throw him in there, or do we put him on the bench and maybe bring him in 
on the, in the second half. I'd uh, I'd I'd play him. It sort of in the opposite way of how Andy was describing the possibly the sim situation that you put him in mm. for like the the one that you expect to lose that for, for this to be the one that we we need to win and we expect to win out of the others. I think you just have to go stronger side, and I think even a you know a seventy percent fit Carver Lewin or whatever he may be, and you know he you know he's not going to be very sharp, but I just think he he offers so much more than. Than the other options, and I think if you if you play Calvert Lewin, you get more out of Damari Gray as well, just because of that that link up and that sort of direct running, and he can run off them as well. Um, so for me, I think you just you have to play him and just hope for the best. Really, that he'll be available for other games, but I, I just think if he can get on the pitch, you get him on the pitch. That's that's how important he is to us. In in that case, El, would you take out Iwobi for Damari Gray and play Gray out wide? No, so I, if, well, if, actually, if, saying if, that, 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 I, that was if bringing in Garner, obviously. Yeah, well, I, I think you really do need a Wobi for that right hand side defensively, and I think I still want to see McNeil. So would would it be going back to Damari Gray being the impact player? Maybe, you know, c- coming on later. I, I didn't even think about that element of it, but I think that that could probably be the answer then. That you have Carlett Lewin for however long. And then you know you've got Damari Gray to, to offer something different in the second quarter. Yeah, it's so difficult. I, you know, I don't envy Sean Dyche at all in in picking the the best team to to get the result really. But I, I do. I just think Cavalier Lewin's so important in that in that position that, and I think yeah, you can use Damari Gray in other ways. You, I suppose you've got to hope, as we have time and time and time again, that this has now been handled in the correct way, first and foremost, in that if we're going to see Dominic Calvert-Lewin in any capacity off the bench from the start, that he is ready to offer what we know he can bring. Um, You know, we all saw what a difference he made in just in that Arsenal game, the first under Sean Dyche. He was just, he was a pest. He was a pain. He was, he was, very difficult to defend against. He's, he offers not only a threat when we've got the ball in open play, but from set pieces, which we've been so strong at anyway, you know, that is all of a sudden a huge extra threat. Um, you've just got to hope that he is right. Um, how are we to know that? I don't know. Um, but I mean, if I suppose, I suppose if it, if it gets to this point, doesn't it, where, if he's going to be thrown in now, then obviously the medical team think he's ready. Um, otherwise, they wouldn't. I'm sure of it. Um, I, I would if if he's going to if he's the Dominic Carver Lewin that played in the Arsenal match at Goodison, I would have him in at the drop of a hat. He's got to play um, mm. because he offers just so much, and you can tell that Dyche's um, system and Dyche's thoughts towards the game kind of they. He's perfect for it, isn't he? Isn't he really? Um, and if you can get a really good hour out of him or a really good half out of him, I mean, like we've said, Fulham, if they concede an early goal, they might decide that this is not the day for them. Um, you don't, you know, I, I, I'd be inclined to just throw everything out there in the first half an hour, see if we can get in front, and then Goodison hopefully will take over and. You know, if there's a, a way to get him out of that, if we need to, then then it's a lot easier at that point, isn't it? Um, rather than 
you know, we've seen it before, haven't you, in, in, in his several comebacks. Like when he gets introduced as a second half sub, everybody somehow expects it to be a completely different game now Dominic Garvett Lewin's playing. And it they kind of it never, it hasn't clicked as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say chuck him. Chuck, chuck him. If, he, if he's ready, which they will know, and they've been very, very um, careful with him to not just throw him back in. So, if he's ready, if he's available for that team, I would play him from the start. And if you get a half, then I think we'll look an awful lot better for that half. Yeah, I agree. He's 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 one of our genuinely um, quality players the, 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 on his day when fit. He's the sort of player who other sides would want in their side, um, which hasn't always been the case this season with the personnel we've had in. Um, I just double-checked. When, when Kevin Campbell came in um, in 1999, eight games. We've got eight games left of this season. If Dominic Calvert-Lewin can have half the impact in this final eight games, if we can get a few halves of football out of him, if we can, whether it's off the bench or from the start, if he can get some minutes, he will cause problems. I think he will score goals in this side um, because as as we've said, we look really dangerous from set pieces. Um, so we're, we're a side that's ideal for him to play with and it was something that Frank Lampard came back to far too often, probably. But if if we can get this last little run with him, all the better. I guess the slightly reassuring thing is that we have shown, with the likes of Damari Gray, now with the likes of Ellis Sims, we do have other ways of playing. So if he comes on and breaks down again, it's, it's not that same... It, it would be that familiar sinking feeling, but it maybe wouldn't be as vital as it maybe would have felt earlier in the season when um when we had him out for long spells but um but yeah I, I agree on his day we're a better side with him and we're a poorer side without him so he has to start and hopefully hopefully we can keep him fit so that he can le- at least make some kind of impact um in this room have you got the stats on richard goff <laughs> <laughs> he didn't get nine goals in eight games i can uh <laughs> can assure you you're listening to the Toffee Web Podcast. Well, uh, Andy, you are going to be at this one, and I think you said you're in the uh, in the park end this weekend. Uh, so we thought we'd uh, bring our, our weekly question back and uh, ask what's your favourite and your least favourite places to sit in Goodison Park. Andy, why don't you go ahead? Yeah, I'm at the back of the park end for this one which is somewhere I've never sat before. I've sat towards the front of the park end, but I've never been right. I'm almost right on the back wall. Um, so it got me thinking, like, if I was actually going to have, you know, if I could choose a place, that, uh, and, and your your mind all, always goes to standing and uh, sitting in the Gladys Street, doesn't it? Because I've, 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 I've sat everywhere in the ground. So I kind of, uh, you always think that as a natural, but then... I'm a bit of a kind of purist, I guess, in if I could choose, I probably wouldn't sit to watch a game of football, maybe not behind a goal. So that kind of just steers me slightly around the corner. Now, this is, I think a lot of our answers will be probably, um, we might go on game experience as well, if something happened in a particular seat or whatever. And uh, I remember being in the lower Bullens, like in the paddock, I guess, but towards... The Gladys Street end, so like kind of in in our in in that half of the pitch, quite low down. I was there for the Villarreal match, 
which still stands out in my mind as one of I know we lost, but it just it was magic that night. I couldn't get over it. Um, I, I, I was in there for have <laughs> we lost this one as well? No, maybe not actually. Uh, we we uh, the Chelsea match in the in the semi final of the League Cup was it the first leg? Um, was that right? No, was that the league game? When did Drogba score that stupid goal? Was that a league game? That was a league game. Yeah, three two in about right. December. Yeah, I was there for that one as well. So this is I'm talking myself out of this, but anyway, I'm going to keep going with the theory. Uh, and I was also there when um, we had a Ian Turner sent off against Blackburn in seven minutes, and they brought John Ruddy on that game, and we ended up winning that one. So maybe I've brought it back round. I just I love being that close to the Gladys Street where you can feel the Gladys Street, and it's just you know you get that kind of sense of being right there, but it's just. I like the view of Goodison from that side. You can see kind of both ends. You can see that huge hulk of a main stand opposite you and the church just, you know, and, and yeah, I, I like Goodison from that angle. Um, where I'd say I ha- I've had, I, I saw us when I was in the top balcony towards the park end in the top balcony on that strange bit that kind of almost cuts off <laughs> um, at the top. And I watched us lose 5-3 at home to QPR there once. And I remember being directly behind a Les Ferdinand free kick that just flew in um, against... Uh, that may have been that game, or it may have been when we played Leicester, when he was playing for Leicester. Yeah, but I anyway... I remember I've that some... free kick. Yeah, it was Leicester. Was that Leicester? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah. I was there for that one as well, and I didn't enjoy that much. So I'm, I'm going to say best place is towards the Gladys Street, but in the Bullens Road. And my worst place would be the top balcony where the fa- the stand looks like it's not particularly finished where it kind of just cuts off <laughs> that <bit>. yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's hard to pick a negative because i do w- wherever i'm sat or stood as the case may be i do i just i love i love being in goodison i guess the easy answer would be anywhere you've got a restricted view because that is a, a quirk of the stadium yeah. um mm-hmm. and and it's always funny particularly if you're taking someone who hasn't been to the ground before you know <laughs> taking friends from university and they're like what, what what is this um you know particularly when we're coming from a sort of more modern stadia it is a um you know it's a bit like taking someone to your house and <laughs> it's half built um so <laughs> I, d- I do understand that uh in terms of best experience um i'm, I'm with you andy I'd, I'd, the the sort of purist in me doesn't want to be directly behind the goal but i do love that feeling of being near the gladys street um the last game I went to, but the one stand I hadn't sat in, um, of them, obviously the Wayne, was um, the main stand. And uh, I saw the uh, Manchester United home game there. Uh, got free tickets. Thank you, Boxed. A little shout out. I don't know if you want to sponsor the podcast, but um, they do great work with boilers, I believe. Um, so, uh, yeah. And, I, <laughs> and we've been off the boil ever since. Uh, so, uh, thanks, Boxed. Um, but... That 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 was a, that was a nice change to have a sort of very um, sort of prim and proper seat. I know I know Paul who who can't be here today uh, gets his nice uh, box seats occasionally, but it was um, it, it it was an interesting experience to have those kind of posher seats. But um, I'm with you. I like to I like to feel a bit of the atmosphere from Blood Street as well. Um, L, are you in your ideal seat where you are right now? I am now, yeah. But when I so when I was a kid, I I started. Um, my first game actually um, was the Newcastle game in '96 when Shearer made his debut, and I remember oh, yeah. it like yesterday. It was 
Bright Sunshine, you know, um, Neville Southall was playing, the Blue Black Sox. And I remember, the you know, being sat in the park end, like I say, yesterday. Until about a year ago, I found the ticket. I was in the Gladys Street. <laughs> so <laughs> I've always remembered my first ever game, like... Like a you know, like a movie in my head, and it's all wrong. But I was there, and I do have the ticket. But um, but when I started to go more regularly, so my first season ticket was around ninety nine, and I was in the family enclosure, and I was I shared the same view that as a kid, I, I would hate to sit back behind the goal. I couldn't understand it, you know, because the vantage points and when the ball goes long, you can't work it out. But then when I started to go away more regularly, sort of age fourteen, fifteen. I you know I, I started to enjoy it and then when you're 16 you actually get kicked out of the family enclosure, um and so I went straight to the Gladys Street so I'm now there yeah and I sit sort of in between the goal and the corner flag towards the main stand, um and it's just magic like the Tottenham game the Michael Keane equaliser, like falling into the row behind and the gentleman two two seats away is trying to keep his glasses on his face as he's falling back as well. And it's just, I just love being in it because I feel like it's like the real heartbeat of, of Goodison. Um, mm. But, you know, I, I I sat in the park end once and that was when Rodwell was sent off in the derby. Um, so bad memories of that one. And the worst seat I've ever sat in was, you know, where the Upper Gladys meets the Bullens Road and it sort of goes on the turn. There's a mm. seat where there's a bollard right in front of it. And I had to sort of put my legs either side of it. But it was about, it was sort of Martinez's first season. I think we were playing Hull. And so I was about 22, 23. And that's when I used to go out on a, you know, I could manage a Friday night and a Saturday night. So I was still a bit worse for wear and put it this way. I wasn't (laughs) feeling great. So I had to keep leaving my seat. And I had to keep sort of basically getting both legs across this bollard and then across people. In quick enough time that I didn't spew everywhere, basically. So that was horrific. Uh, so that is definitely my one. It's not just the worst place to sit; it's the one worst seat. If you've been for a night out, never sit in that seat. <laughs> Phenomenal. Good, good to know. Good to know. Yeah, I, I think it, you know it really does depend on on and what you want out of it, isn't it? Because I mean, being in the Gladys Street is nothing like being in the Gladys Street for just feeling part of, you know, mm. and it's, you know, it's definitely noisy and it's just, you do feel part of something, um, not quite in the way that it used to be with the, with, with terracing, obviously when you're all in there kind of all swaying around together, but it's as close as you can get. Um, I suppose in terms of pure spec wise, I mean, the upper Bullens, I suppose, front row of the upper Bullens would be a, over the halfway line would be a fantastic place to be because you're kind of mimicking what's, what the director's box is like. Um, I've never sat in the park end, actually, but um, my first game was in the, the top balcony. I don't think I've ever sat there since. Um, I mean, it's just it's just high, you know, and I, I like my I think some of my favorite memories have been in the paddock. Uh, I was there for the, the Coventry game in 98. I was there in the paddock. I was there for Gary when Gary Speed scored against Spurs. Um in, that was in April 98, 97. Which game was, which season was that? One or two anyway. It was a really important goal anyway. Um, so that's that was kind of before the tickets became really hard to get. Uh, that was kind of where I would try and try and sit. But uh, yeah, I think that that that's probably my favorite, just, just from a, from a pure memory standpoint, because I like, I like being 
sort of on the side of the pitch, just for that reason that you said, Al, it's, it's, sometimes it's hard to judge, you know, the, what's going on at the other end of the field if you're behind the goal. Um, in terms, of, in terms of the worst, I mean, the worst spaces have got to be there. Obviously, the restricted views. I mean, I've I sat for um, the Katamari derby behind um, a big pillar. Um, I think that was very similar to where you're talking about, El, and that kind of where <laughs> where the, the Gladys Street meets the low bullets. It's there's some interesting specs there. And then I sat in one game. I think it must have been the back of the lower bullets where you've got those really postage stamp views mm-hmm. where, you know, if the ball goes above someone's head on the field, you can't see where it is. Those are, you know, those are some, I think, some of the, the, the worst specs. And obviously those will all go away uh, when we go to uh, to Bramley Moor Dock. Um, actually on that, where where would you, where would where's your preferred spec in, in, in Bramley Moor, Al, for your season ticket? Yeah, so if I, if I can, it'll be sort of the equivalent. So... So where that yeah. blue wall is going to be, I, I want to be sort of in the thick of it. Um, I suspected you know, that would be your answer, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah, because as I say, when I was younger, I would never have wanted to sit behind the goal, but there's just something mm. about it now, and what I love is, you know, particularly the Dominic Calvert-Lewin goal is a lot of the time when we do score that, and, you know, the players will be celebrating, like, right, you know, yards away from me, um, which is just yeah. incredible. So, yeah, and do you know what, the the worst sinking feeling in the world is, you know, when the to- the coin toss at the start of the game and the, the opposition know and they switch ends. Yes. Oh, yeah. the collective, like, groan and the, the energy just gets sapped because, you know, you do want to suck that ball in in the last minute. Um, so, yeah, for me, that's that's where I'd like to sit. But just as well, I'm, I'm probably, you know, a bit of a claim here, but when uh, I've actually, when I say I've sat in every part of Goodison, I really have because... I've even sat in the away end, um, and it was really weird because you know when the with the pandemic, I was I was lucky in the ballot for the Wolves home game, which we won one nil, which I think was sort of Ancelotti's last home game, and mm. uh, yeah, I was I, I got my ticket and realised it was in the away end, and it was just such a weird spot to sit because obviously we never get the the opportunity to sit in that little part of the of the away end, so that was that was cool as well. My first game at Goodison was the upper Bullens, where if the away team sell out their allocation, they're up there as well, aren't they? Um, but that was that was ages and ages ago. I mean, that was like when the park end wasn't even the park end, mm. um, and that was really strange. That old stand, wasn't it? That huge gap in the middle. Well, not gap, but like a little bit at the bottom, and then a kind of flat wall the big wall then, yeah and then a little bit at the top of which yeah i remember being there going back to um uh, being ever so slightly embarrassed um I, I i had a i was lucky enough to take a few lads up to everton for one of my birthdays probably 22nd 23rd birthday and we watched everton 2 sunderland 2 in i've just checked it i think it was 2006 and the only tickets we could get were like for that many people for some reason were right at the back of the lower gladys and we just pretty much spent the whole time looking at the roof because it just comes right over there, doesn't it? And I remember <laughs> some of the lads that came with me who obviously weren't used to Goodison Park. Would, I really did have to explain that day. Um, this is kind of, this is normal for this place, but they weren't impressed. <laughs> um, neither were they with Everton 2, Sunderland 2. It wasn't a great game. I, I just love there as well, where it's like the letterbox, even on the bricks, you can see like the where the numbers have been engraved into them and stuff, like in production, mm. probably like 80 years ago now. 
But you know, you can just see it all, and it's just amazing. And even like the grouse and everything, I love it. I do. I yeah. love it. There's yeah. so much history in that place. It's going to be a going to be a wrench to leave, but. Uh, we will uh, leave it there for this week. Uh, my thanks uh, to you all and for everyone for listening. I look out for another episode early next week as we reflect on that game against Fulham and no doubt the further twists and turns that are likely in the relegation stakes. Uh, we'll also look ahead to that uh, trip to Palace, which feels a lot trickier now than it did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, but until then, as always, Blues, take care. Up the toffees and we'll speak to you next week. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.